0: Hello, and welcome to the Rachman Review. I'm Gideon Rachman, Chief Foreign Affairs Commentator of the Financial Times. In this week's podcast, we're discussing what a Biden presidency will mean for the world outside America. My guest is Ivo Donder, the President of the Chicago Council on Global Affairs, who served as America's ambassador to NATO during the Obama years. So has Donald Trump permanently changed the world? Or will Joe Biden bring back the America of the Obama years?
1: And it is now my great honor.
0: Celebrations broke out in American cities as the news came through of Joe Biden's victory in the American presidential election. Biden. Like most American presidential elections, the contest between Joe Biden and Donald Trump centered mainly on domestic affairs, the economy and this year, the pandemic. But foreign policy did play a role in the campaign, and Joe Biden sought to draw some real distinctions between his approach to the world and that of Donald Trump. In an interview for the CBS television show, 60 Minutes, Biden was asked what he saw as the Americans. biggest threat to America.
1: Our lack of standing in the world, look what he does. He embraces every dictator in sight, and he pokes his finger in the eye of all of our friends. And so,
0: Donald Trump started a trade war with China and the pandemic has further raised tensions between Washington and Beijing. By contrast, Trump sought to create a better relationship with Russia and Vladimir Putin. That's likely to change in a Biden administration. This was the president-elect's response when 60 Minutes asked him which country represented the greatest threat to America.
1: Well, I think the biggest threat to America right now in terms of breaking up our, our security and our alliances is Russia. Secondly, I think that the biggest competitor is China. And depending on how we handle that, we'll determine whether we're competitors or we end up being in a more serious competition relating to force.
0: Throughout the campaign, Biden emphasized his determination to rebuild American alliances. That'll be welcomed by some of the governments and leaders that found themselves getting the rough end of President Trump's rhetoric, leaders like Germany's Angela Merkel or Canada's Justin Trudeau. Ursula von der Leyen, president of the European Commission, put this into words this week when she called for a new transatlantic agenda fit for today's world. Our international system has been held hostage for too many years now. So the time has come to reverse the trend, to reform those institutions that need reform and to revive multilateral deals that are essential for our common security, to create new coalitions on the most pressing issues of our times. But the outside world may struggle to simply forget the Trump years. After all, President Trump and the movement he represents still commands the support of just under half the American people. And of course, President Trump is still claiming that he won the election, casting a shadow over the smooth transition of power that the world's come to expect from the United States. Still, for the moment, most of my American contacts are assuming that Joe Biden will indeed be sworn in as president on January the 20th. So when I got Ivo Donda on the line from Chicago, I started by asking him whether U.S. allies can believe that after the last four years, America can still be relied upon.
1: Yeah, I think if you're sitting in a European chancery, if you are looking at the United States, even from allied capitals, You do have to wonder what happened to the United States in the last four years and in many ways what has been happening in the United States for the last 20 years. Remember, relations between the United States and key European allies uh, under the George W. Bush administration were fraught with tension over issues like Iraq. And then Obama came to power. He was widely welcomed by most people in Western Europe, but also seen people in Eastern Europe as perhaps less Committed to their security. I think over time, Obama was able to reassure people. But given the dynamic of American domestic politics, how much trust are you going to put into this relationship, uh, given that that trust has uh, not only had a blow, it's frankly been broken?
0: Yeah, I suppose cynically, one, or just realistically, one could say, well, that's all true. But what real alternative do the Europeans have? Certainly on the security front. I mean, I was in Estonia a couple of weeks back and uh, speaking to some of them, they were saying, well, it's all very well for the French to talk about European strategic autonomy and so on, but we're sitting right on the border with Russia and, you know, we're not going to rely on France or Germany to protect us. We need the United States. So even if they have doubts, and you as a former NATO ambassador will know this better than anyone, They really have to hope that the U.S. is still there for them.
1: Yes, and no doubt under a Biden administration, given who Joe Biden is, that commitment to the security of our allies in Europe or indeed in Asia is going to be reaffirmed strongly by the president and by everyone who serves in his administration. But I would say the idea of a stronger, more capable Europe is not incompatible with a stronger and more committed United States to the defense or indeed the partnership writ large. And I do think there is a time now, 75 years after the end of World War II, where more European cooperation, including in the defense field, is a good thing. And I would urge any American administration, including the Biden administration, to push very hard for more European cooperation, not as an alternative to the transatlantic relationship, but as a essential component of that relationship The world is more complicated. The United States is relatively weaker than it was at the end of the Cold War, let alone at the end of World War II. It needs its partners and allies more than it has in the past. It should encourage them to do more, not only in terms of defense spending, which is the kind of issue that clearly Donald Trump pushed very hard, but in terms of taking on more responsibility, both for their own security and for global affairs. And the U.S. should want a strong, capable Europe.
0: And what about Russia, then? Because many people have suggested that the election of Joe Biden and the return of the Democrats in general is pretty bad news for uh, Vladimir Putin, because they have no uh, special relationship with Putin, as Trump might have. And they also are still furious with the Russians for apparent uh, interference in the 2016 presidential election. Do you expect U.S.-Russian relations... To take on a tougher and more adversarial tone.
1: Well, in some ways, U.S.-Russian relationship has been really tough, except for the occupant of the White House, who has been unable at any point in his four-year tenure to criticize Vladimir Putin. That's not going to be Joe Biden's problem. It's important to note that Biden has seen Russia as a strong adversary of the United States. His first major publication after leaving the vice presidency was an article in foreign affairs about russia when he was asked just a few weeks ago in a 60 minute interview what the big threats are that the united states faces his first answer was russia china was there too but it was russia first and clearly he sees russia and has seen russia for a very long time and particularly this russia led by vladimir putin as an adversary of the united states as an as an opponent and you will find i think biden more forceful in executing a policy that makes clear that American interests and European security interests and global security interests require a very different uh, Russian approach. Now, that doesn't mean that you're going to have the kind of policy that one might have had in previous times where you don't do business with Russia. You don't spend any time talking to them. I think Biden is the kind of person who believes in the importance of diplomacy and the importance of dialogue and the importance of trying to work together with even your adversaries to solve common problems. But it's going to be based on a very realistic assessment of what Russia's role in the region is, what its intentions are with regard to security overall, and uh, the importance of the United States to stand shoulder to shoulder with its allies, including in Eastern Europe to counter any military, economic, political, or any other pressure that might come from Moscow. And obviously Russia is an adversary America's been squaring off against
0: you know, since the end of the Second World War. But I think many people believe now that it's really China which is the competition for America in terms of global power. The relationship between the U.S. and China has deteriorated. There's been a trade war, there's now COVID, and so on. Again, the conventional wisdom seems to be that actually... There's now a bipartisan consensus in Washington that um, the U.S. has to treat China as an adversary and that Biden will continue to do so. Is that the case? Do you think that's right?
1: Uh, There's no doubt that the idea that used to exist in American policy circles that engaging with China would ultimately transform China, liberalize it economically and politically, there isn't bipartisan consensus that that strategy failed that we are now in a much more economically competitive, technologically competitive, potentially militarily competitive situation, and that's the starting point of policy. That said, I foresee significant changes in the way in which a Biden administration approaches China. For one, for Trump, China has been principally seen in economic terms as an economic competitor. uh, We're opening up the Chinese market to American goods And services, although Trump tends to think in goods more than services, was important. And countering unfair trading practices was important. And that's why trade has so dominated the relationship. And then there's also the technological dimension of the competition about Huawei and 5G, the banning of TikTok and WeChat. I think that will continue, too. I don't see the same ideological kind of competition and perspective coming forth. From a Biden administration, Secretary of State Pompeo and, and Vice President Pence have painted a very dark picture of the Chinese Communist Party seeking global hegemony in a way that we talked about the Soviet Union and the Soviet Communist Party during the Cold War That's not the perspective that I think a Biden administration is going to take towards China, much more a power competition. The fact that China is powerful, that it is going to pursue its own interests, that those interests will reflect the power and influence that it now has, and that at times those will clash with the United States and the U.S. will have to be prepared to deal with that, whether that's militarily or economically or politically. But at the same time, a recognition that as a powerful country, China will be necessary as a partner in dealing with other issues, be it climate change or non-proliferation, or indeed dealing with a global pandemic where the way you deal with this kind of challenge can't be national but will have to be international. And then finally, I think most importantly, Biden will look at bringing allies both in Asia and in Europe, together with the United States in developing a common strategy towards China. The one advantage in the competition with China that the US has and that China doesn't, is we have allies, and they have clients. And those two are very different things. And it gives us a huge advantage in the competition that we are uh, embarking on. What about the specific military angle? Because
0: I don't know if you remember, but the two of us were both in a meeting in 2008 in the Ministry of Defense in Beijing, where there was a very blunt, and to me, eye-opening talk about the possibility of a war between China and the United States over Taiwan at the time. And tensions over Taiwan are only rising, They've risen over the South China Sea because of China's militarization of that and America's naval response. Do you think a Biden administration will take more or fewer risks on the military front? Will they be less inclined to push back against China because of
1: the danger of it spiraling into that war? Well, I think the reality of the military and security situation in East Asia is quite different today than even four years ago, although even four years ago it was probably worse than many in the Obama administration seem to believe. Clearly, the Chinese are trying to extend their power and influence using the threat of military force beyond the immediate shores of China. And in the first instance, that means in East Asia. We see what it's been doing in the South China Sea and the building up of islands that have become military outposts. We see far more aggressive military behavior On its own periphery with India in the Himalayas, in the Taiwan Straits, where they have now decided that the median that used to define what was Taiwanese maritime space and what is Chinese maritime space has been eroded and denied. And the possibility of even using military force to change the status quo with regard to Taiwan. I think a Biden administration will take that very seriously and push back increasingly, both by enhancing its capacity in the region something that has already started under the Obama administration and continued in the Trump administration, and perhaps a new look at what are our true commitments and where are our red lines. And that includes a very big debate that's going on in at least in expert circles right here in the United States on whether or not the United States ought to change its policy of strategic ambiguity with regard to whether or not it would defend Taiwan to strategic clarity saying that if China were to attack Taiwan, the United States would defend it. I think that debate will continue into uh, the Biden administration. So yes, there is going to be a significant military security component to the U.S.-China relationship, which is in some ways quite different from when Biden was last in office.
0: And what would you do on that question, that vital question of strategic clarity? Should the United States say explicitly
1: out loud, yes, we will defend Taiwan? Well, I think you need to embed it into a larger concept of what your strategy towards China is. And I think if we have an agreement with our allies on what it is that we're trying to achieve with regard to China, which should be not to change its internal political or even necessarily economic behavior, that is for China to decide, although we will and should make clear that when it comes to human rights and the rule of law and democracy, we have our views and we will not shy away from stating them. But that what we're trying to influence is China's behavior with regard to international rules and international norms. One of which is not using force to change territory and that we together with our allies will do what it needs uh, to do in order to make sure that that doesn't happen. If you build the Taiwan question within that concept of trying to ensure that China continues to behave economically, militarily, and politically within agreed international norms and rules, then I think that is a better position than just going out and saying, we don't like the Chinese, we're worried about the Chinese, and therefore, we're just going to give a unconditional security guarantee to Taiwan. And what influence, switching tax lightly, do you expect Kamala Harris
0: to have in this administration? Obviously, huge interest in her, both because of who she is, the first woman, the first African-American, and so on. But also because Biden is old, she might be the candidate in four years' time, and she might take on a lot of the burden even in this administration.
1: Do you have a sense of what she stands for in foreign policy? Well, um, she was on the Intelligence Committee in the Senate, still is. Of course, she's still a a sitting senator until she becomes vice president. And in that role, will have been exposed to a broad perspective on what's happening in the world. But Kamala Harris is not a foreign policy expert. She's not like Joe Biden, who for 32 years in the Senate was a true expert on foreign policy chairman of the Foreign Relations Committee. And so I think her role will be to provide sort of a gut check for Biden. And Biden has made very clear from the day he announced her that she will be the last person in the room, which Biden was with Obama. And in that capacity, we'll be able to not only provide her own point of view, but also to see whether the decisions that President Biden reaches she thinks make sense and can be the last person to talk it through. I don't think her role will necessarily be as large in the foreign policy sphere as Biden's was in the Obama administration, in part because they're different, but also because the challenges at home, the COVID crisis, the economic crisis, the racial crisis, will require a significant amount of her time. And if we have a Senate, which is still possibly 50-50, she will also be the tie-breaking vote in the Senate and, as a result, would have to be more present in Washington for that purpose. So I think she's going to be more focused on domestic policy and supporting the president than being a large voice in foreign and security policy.
0: And finally, I guess, in a sense, the topics we covered, very important, also quite conventional kinds of things you would be expecting to discuss as one presidency gives way to another, But this has been such an extraordinary presidency and so disturbing in so many ways. I mean, I know that you were very concerned, not just about specific policies, but about the health of democracy in the United States. And in a sense, do you think Joe Biden's biggest task, both at home and overseas, is to try to restore the health of American democracy and the functioning of democracy? And how sanguine are you about his prospects of doing that?
1: So I do worry about the state of democracy around the world. Freedom House, which is the organization that uh, looks at uh, the state of democracy around the world, and 14 years running, democracy has been on retreat. More countries have become less democratic and less free than the other way around. And that is after decades of growth of democracy and freedom around the world. So this is a deeply problematical trend in global politics. I think Joe Biden cares deeply about these issues. Uh, he will bring the values uh, that America stands for and has stood for back to American foreign policy. I don't think uh, a Hong Kong or a Uyghur crisis or the kind of behavior we've been seeing in Hungary and other places will go unremarked upon, let alone given short shrift to or even encouraged in some cases as under the president administration. So the tone will change. And that matters because the rest of the world does look at the United States as providing the guidance and leadership on these kinds of issues. At the same time, the challenges we have here at home, which are exposed not only by this election and, in fact, the continued doubts about whether the election is over or not, but frankly, by the conduct and breaking of norms that we have seen over the past four years, does weaken the ability of the United States to present itself as a beacon of freedom and a beacon of democracy around the world. Restoring that will be a key important task for a Biden administration to do so at home in order to project it more clearly abroad. And I think it's important that you succeed.
0: Okay, well, we'll leave it on that note. Thank you very much indeed, Evo, for joining us uh, from Chicago. Great conversation. My pleasure. That was Ivo Donda in Chicago, ending this edition of the Rachman Review. Thanks for listening. Next week, we'll probably try to break free from the spell of Donald Trump in the United States and look at somewhere else in the world. You'll be able to find the show in all the usual podcast
1: apps. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price
0: tag. Say hello to Quince.